0: Okay, well, I'm excited uh, to get to share the Word of God with y'all this morning. And um, Again, my name is Clayton Fraley. I'm the college pastor here at Antioch, and it's just a privilege to get to be with our college students, and I'm excited to share with everyone this morning. Um, And Billy mentioned it, this series that we've been going through is a series on prayer, um, and specifically, it's it's Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Um, And our heart and intention for this series Is to take the topic of prayer, which to many of us, you know, it may feel like mystical or um, unapproachable to us. But our intention is to make it available, um, something that we can engage with. Um, In other words, how do we take this giant thing that we call prayer um, and we bring it down to us um, so that we can understand it? But not only that, we can wrap our minds around it and we can engage with it. It's not just that we want to be able to understand what prayer is, but we want to actually be able to engage in prayer. And so this week, um, what what we're wanting to dive into is the question, how do we pray? How do we pray? Um, Both in terms of our intentions and practically, what are we doing when we pray? Um, You know, intention meaning our heart posture. What is our heart posture like when we go before our Father? What is our heart posture when we pray to God? And then practically, again, it's, it's what are we actually doing when we pray to God? And so if you look at the works of Jesus, we see clearly that prayer was a powerful part of his ministry. Um, Billy kind of touched on this last week, but frequently Jesus is um, preaching to these giant crowds. Thousands of people are coming to hear him, and he will do this thing where he has them gathered, and he just walks up and leaves. He goes to a mountain, this secluded place, and he prays. Um, That's interesting to me personally Um, Because common sense, or um, really human sense, um, would tell us that if you have big crowds gathered, um, they're attentive to you, they're hanging on every word that you say, then you probably shouldn't leave them and go hide away on a mountain. That's what common sense, at least in my mind, um, would say. But multiple times we see Jesus leaving the work of his ministry to go to a private place and to pray. Um, Look at Luke 5 real quick, and and you don't have to turn there, but um, really quickly in Luke 5, um, so Jesus has just healed this man of leprosy. Um, And so this man is healed, this miraculous work of God happens, and the word has gotten out. Um, The word's gotten out, and people are coming to Jesus to hear what he has to say. And so in Luke 5, verse 15, it says, But now even more the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. So imagine, right? Jesus, again, he has this incredible moment um, where um, the power of God, the spirit of God falls um, and the miraculous breaks out. These crowds are coming. They're ready to be healed. They're ready to listen to everything he has to say. And what does he do? He leaves and he goes to a desolate place to pray. There's something in prayer, I think, that Jesus understood and he experienced. He experienced something in prayer that was so powerful and crucial to his ministry that he was willing to leave crowds of envisioned people to go and pray. Jesus' whole point was to come to earth and bring the kingdom of God to earth. And you would think, right, the kingdom of God is, is where healing happens. It's where the Spirit's breaking out. There's crowds of people coming. They're hungry. They want to learn from Jesus. But he, in that place, knows that the kingdom of God is actually where the Father is. And so he goes to this desolate place to pray to his Father. And in another account in the Gospels, he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I see my Father saying. And so, again, there's something in prayer that Jesus understood and that he experienced with his Father that was so powerful and crucial to his ministry. He was willing to leave crowds of thousands to go and pray. You know, and and this isn't the only time in scripture that we see Jesus do a similar thing, going to secluded places to pray. Um, You know, you think um, when he gets baptized, right, he um, is baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin and the spirit of God comes like a dove. and, And people around see it and the audible voice of God speaks and everyone hears it. And what does he do? He goes into the desert for 40 days by himself to pray and fast. Because he knew as he started his ministry, the most important thing, that he was relationally connected with his father. It wasn't about all of the things that he did, but it was about what the father was doing. And he only wanted to do what the father was doing. And so I think Jesus is doing this very frequently. And before long, the disciples, you know, they noticed that trend. And in my mind, um, as I'm imagining that, I imagine them very nervous. Like they're working up the courage to ask Jesus how to pray. Um, because um, they recognize, they start to recognize that Jesus' prayer life was the source of all that he did. And so I, I want to take a look at that interaction where the disciples come to Jesus, um, and he answers that question that they ask, Lord, how do we pray? And so if you would, if you would turn to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, um, and we're going to start in verse 1. Luke 11, verse 1. Verse five, he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me. I cannot give up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not and give up, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Amen. So what do we see here? We see that Jesus is letting the disciples and he's letting us in on his prayer life. Um, you know, he starts off with, with what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And we're maybe all familiar with the Lord's Prayer to a, to a certain extent. And all traditions of church throughout history for the last 2,000 plus years have, have read and partaken of the Lord's Prayer in different ways. Maybe you've recited it as liturgy weekly. Maybe you've read it daily as part of a devotional. Regardless of the ways we've interacted with the Lord's Prayer, um, what our hope is, is that when we look at this, we're seeing what are the principles that Jesus is emphasizing in the Lord's Prayer. You know, there's a lot of fruit of treating something in a rhythmic, structured way. Um, An example of this, right, is I grew up playing baseball. I played a lot of baseball growing up. And if you've ever played baseball, before every practice, before every game, you warm up by just playing catch with someone, right? And so you play catch over and over and over again, every practice, every game, for, for years. And when you get into the game, right, you, um, you're not actually thinking about how do you throw the baseball anymore, right? I have this mental image in my mind um, of when I was in high school playing third base, um, and we were playing College Station High School, and someone hits this ball very hard to me, right? And so I'm at third base. Someone hits the ball hard to me. I'm not thinking about how I'm going to throw the ball to first base. I just catch it and I throw the ball to first base. Um, and then College Station High School beat us like thirty to nothing. Um, that was the year they won state. Um, so it's a good year. Um, we're in College Station, so you know. Um, But, you know, it's the same thing in prayer, right? If you have these structured prayers, what happens is you pray them, you recite them, and it gets the truth and the principle into your heart. When life gets hard, when when things come at you, like Billy was even sharing earlier, what comes out of your heart, what comes out of your mind, what comes out of your mouth in prayer is the principles that we have discipled ourselves into learning. And so it's the same thing. It's right, when I get into a game, I'm not thinking about how do I you know, technically throw a baseball, I catch the ball and I throw it, right? What is in our heart will come out of us in times of struggle. Yeah. And so when you recite the Lord's Prayer, right, when we look at this, um, it's teaching our hearts, it's teaching our minds, what are the principles that Jesus was teaching his disciples? You know, so, so, so there's this principled element, but, but there's also like the values that Jesus is trying to disciple his disciples in. And you know, there's so much here um, in the Lord's Prayer, it would take multiple lifetimes um, to mine through the depths of the Lord's Prayer. Um, But there's three specific themes that I wanted to highlight here um, in the Lord's Prayer specifically. Um, And the first one is that it is centered on the Father. It's centered on the Father. So Jesus starts off and says, Father, hallowed be your name. Another way to say this is, Father, holy is your name. What does this mean? It means God is set apart. He is greater than all else in creation. When we pray, we're not just throwing thoughts out into the universe, hoping someone or something somewhere hears our prayers. You know, like Billy shared last week, there are countless of traditions and religions that pray, but we know that we are praying to the creator God, the almighty who created the universe. He's high above all things. You know, and it also sets us in our place, right? We're not coming with our agenda. We're not coming with a list of things that we want a genie to do. We're coming before a set apart, holy God. But crucially, and this was a paradigm shift. It was revolutionary for the disciples. And Billy talked about it last week. Is that it clarifies our place in our standing with this holy God. He's our father and we are his children. So we're not coming to some impersonal, distant God who doesn't really care about us. Yes, he's still holy. He's still set apart, but he's near to us. We're coming to our Father. And I think when it comes to prayer, this is one of the major hangups that we have that keeps us from praying, myself included, is that we don't understand our place with God. Because we know that God is holy. We know he's set apart. We know he's the creator of all things. And because of that, we then think he doesn't have time for the things on our heart. He doesn't have time for the things in our lives. And honestly, if you, if you don't see God primarily as your father, that makes sense. It, it makes sense to me. If you don't see God primarily as your father, it would make sense to think that he doesn't have time for you. But Jesus clarifies our relationship to this God, and he tells us to come to him as children would come to their father. Um, a lot of you may know, I have a two-year-old daughter named Margot, um, who's awesome. Uh, and she doesn't understand most of the things that I work on in my life um, at all, doesn't understand them, um, whether it's at home or here at the church or anywhere in my life, um, She doesn't approach me thinking that I'm too busy or that she is less important than the things that I work on. Um, She comes to me as my daughter and shares the thing on her mind and on her heart. Um, And the work that I do never hinders Margot from actually coming to me. Um, You know, frequently, at least once a week, Jordan will text me um, and say that Margot just wants to say hi to me. You know, she's woken up. I've left before she wakes up and... um, I get this text that says, Margaret really wants to say hi to me. And it's my joy to call her, to FaceTime her, just to say hi and to hear her quick questions that she has or the things that are going on in her day. It makes my day. It brings me so much joy, right? Even if I have to stop in the middle of working on something, it brings me so much joy to interact with my daughter. Do we have that understanding of God that when we come to him, it's his joy to be with us. It's his joy to have relationship with us. And so that's the first theme is is prayer centered on the father. And the second is caring about the kingdom, caring about the kingdom. It says your kingdom come. So when we understand our relationship with our father, we begin to care about the things that he cares about. Our hearts should desire to see God's rule and his reign come to earth because that's our father's kingdom. It's our father's kingdom. And so that should be our desire to see it come to earth. For Jesus, he knew that God's kingdom coming was his father's ultimate purpose and the thing his father cared about. God desires to receive the glory that he is due. He wants to be glorified. He is a jealous God. And what that means is he wants all the world to know him. He wants all the world to love him and to worship him. And ultimately, that's why he sends Jesus into the world, right? John three sixteen. And it's also why we, the church, are still here today, is to see the kingdom of God come to earth. God has a desire for his kingdom to come, and that starts with being a people of prayer. Jesus knew that God's intention was to see the kingdom come to earth, and therefore his method to see that happen was to be committed to prayer. Again, it's not about crowds. It's not about these crazy things happening. It's about being with the Father. Jesus knew that the kingdom coming to earth started with his relationship with his Father. And he wanted to do everything that the Father was doing. He wanted to say everything that the Father was saying. There's a quote from Richard Foster on prayer and intercession that really speaks to this. He said, In the ongoing work of the kingdom of God, nothing is more important than intercessory prayer. Nothing is more important than intercessory prayer. Okay, so we've talked about being centered on the Father, caring about the kingdom, where, where you have a theme with C's here. Um, and so the third thing that I wanted to highlight is concerned with daily bread. Concerned with daily bread. And again, there's so much that we can mine through in the Lord's Prayer. It, it would take me over a lifetime. But, but these were the three things I felt like I wanted to highlight this morning. And um, You know, I think this third theme is where a lot of people... Myself included, we get stuck in prayer, Um, you know, because, because we know our father. We understand our relationship to him and we care about his kingdom. We have a heart for the gospel. We have a heart to see the lost saved. But because of that, we actually tend to minimize our own stuff. We minimize the things we feel and we need in our daily lives. And I totally get that mentality uh, because we want to live humble, sacrificial lives. We don't want to care about our own lives. We want to care about the things that God cares about. Um, But the reality is, is when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he told them to pray for their daily bread. He told them to pray, give us each day our daily bread. And there's something powerful there. Because I think what happens a lot of times is we pray these big, ultra-spiritual prayers, but we don't actually get to the place of inviting God into our personal lives. We don't get to this place where in our day-to-day lives, God is present and He's active and we're expecting to see Him move. I think prayer for daily bread is this invitation from God to surrender. It's an invitation to give up control in our own lives. Our human desires, the temptations that come to us, they want us to control the things in our life. Our flesh wants to control everything in our life. And when we pray for our daily bread, it resets our minds to remember that God has provided everything for us. Everything we have, it comes from God. And so when we pray for daily bread, it replaces control with trust. It replaces control with trust. When we pray and we ask God for our daily needs, It forces us to trust in his provision and not in our own abilities to provide for ourselves. Okay, so we've looked through the Lord's Prayer. um, But when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he didn't just end on that, right? He shared this parable of this friend who needed bread in the middle of the night. Um, And so he moves on to share the story. um, And I just want to read through that again real quick. So it starts in verse 5. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at night? Or which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut, and my children are in bed with me. I totally relate to this, right? It's like I have kids. If someone knocked on my door, my initial response is like, dude, no, like <laughs> we're trying to go to bed. Um, But there's something there. He says, I tell you, though he will not give up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What do we see here? Jesus is sharing this parable to emphasize the heart posture that we are to approach God with in prayer. Frequently in parables, Jesus makes what's called a lesser to greater argument. Um, So so he'll share this lesser earthly thing um, to emphasize a point about the greater thing, which is God or the kingdom. And so Jesus says here that if, if there's this friend laying in bed, he's about to go to sleep, and he would still get out of bed to answer someone coming boldly, asking persistently, how much more would God go to great lengths to help us? But there's this emphasis, right, on the heart posture, the attitude of the person going to ask for help. It says it's because of his impudence um, that his friend helps. That word impudence, another way of stating it, is without modesty or without respect. So he's saying this friend is coming shamelessly. He's boldly awakening, right, his friend. And I think about that scenario, if it were me, how would I go and ask my friend in the middle of the night? I would quietly knock on the door, I would say, hey, I'm so sorry. You don't have to help me. You're probably busy, but I really need this. But, you know, actually, it's okay. I'm going to go and go to (laughs) H-E-B or something. Um, Right? We we would, like, hedge our words. We would apologize. Um, But this friend just boldly comes. He asks his friend, and that behavior is praised by Jesus. What we see here is that Jesus is highlighting that we need to come to God with a bold confidence and faith in him. That we would be bold and confident in coming to our father, ready to make our requests known to him. And that's what Jesus teaches in the rest of this passage, right? You look at verse 9. He says, ask, he says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, again, it's it's another of these lesser to greater arguments. If we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our father in heaven But something that I think Jesus wants to make clear is this expectation that we actually have to ask him. God wants us to come and ask him. Um, And we see this reality here, right? Prayer starts with need and it ends in relationship. There's this journey through the asking and the seeking and the knocking that starts with us asking for things and it ends with relationship. Look at those three phrases, right? Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, we come, we bring our requests to God. It's this daily bread prayer that we're asking for God's help. And we start there. But then you get to seek. We come asking and it opens up our hearts to seek God. All through scripture, we see that we're commanded to seek God and we find him in the place of prayer. And the place of prayer is where we find God. How else can we seek God if, we can- if we're not praying? It's-, it's the most obvious direct way To seek God in relationship with Him is through prayer. We seek gifts. Sometimes we get those gifts, but we find the greatest gift of all, which is God Himself. Jesus emphasizes this in the last verse. What is the ultimate gift that the Father wants to give us? He says, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He wants to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we we ask God for our needs, and, and it opens up our heart to seek Him. Then what happens is at the end of this journey, we knock on the door and the door is open to us. This door of fellowship is open where we're invited to dine and dwell with God in his presence. We're invited into his presence. You know, a quote from Mother Teresa on this passage really struck me. um, And she said, prayer enlarges the heart until it is capable of containing God's gift of himself. Ask and seek and your heart will grow big enough to receive him and keep him as your own. So there's this journey of prayer that that Jesus is talking about where we come to God and we start with just saying, Lord, we need these things. We need this breakthrough. We need to see these things happen in our life. And in that place, he opens up our heart to seek him, to know him. We're invited into his presence. We're invited to dwell with him and dine with him in fellowship. And so sometimes, you know, we we read this, we hear it, we get inspired to pray, right? Like that's the natural outcome is when you like hear this, read it, you're like, I need to pray. Um, So we go and we pray once or twice. um, And then when we don't see it answered, we lose motivation. I am guilty of this. It's like, man, the Lord will burden my heart for something. I will pray for a day or two. And then the things of this world will come and I'm distracted and I forgot what I was supposed to pray about in the first place. Maybe we did come and we asked boldly, but when we didn't see it happen, right, we kind of gave up. Um, There's some linguistic nuance happening here in this passage I want to bring attention to. And it's specifically in the words, ask, seek, and knock. Um, In English, we don't have the grammar to communicate the idea that Jesus is emphasizing here very concisely. But in Greek, these words are implying a reality that this isn't a singular action, but it's an ongoing action, right? right? So more accurately, it could be read, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. So it's an ongoing action. When we don't get the answer to our questions, to our asking, Jesus is saying, don't stop. Don't give up. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking me. Keep on knocking. We have to have persistence in our prayers. We don't just stop when we get the answer after once or twice of prayer. We have to keep going. There's another parable later on in Luke that Jesus shares to really make sure his disciples and us understand this reality. Um, So if you would, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Um, Now, a lot of times when Jesus shares a parable, he doesn't give a clear answer to what the point of that parable is. Um, Jesus is comfortable with some level of mystery um, because he wants us to engage with him. Um, He doesn't want us to just treat him like an answer book where we go, we get the answer and we come away. He is fine with leaving some mystery. And that's why he teaches primarily in parables. So Jesus leaves space for that because he knows that when we come to him with questions, what we find is deeper relationship to him. When he comes, he shares these parables and we have to engage with him in prayer. Again, we find relationship with God. So it's in this journey, again, from asking to knocking to the door of fellowship. But here, you know, I think Jesus anticipates the problem that a lot of us have in prayer, um, which is the lack of faith and persistence to keep going. So what he does is he just comes out and he tells us why we need to understand this parable. Um, So in verse one, right, let's read it. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So Jesus is coming right out and he's saying, hey, I know you might lose heart. I know you might lose faith. So here is this parable. So when you get to that place, you can come back to this and remind yourself of what I say about myself, of who I am. So he's telling us what the point of this parable is. So let's, let's read it again in verse one. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to, my, said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Man, it's a great guy. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Here again, right? There's this lesser to greater argument. Even this wicked, corrupt judge gives the widow the justice that she seeks. How much more so will our loving, steadfast, faithful God give justice to those who are persistent in coming to him in prayer? Not just one prayer, not just two prayers. Maybe it takes a lifetime. Maybe, maybe you pray for years on end, Maybe you get to that place where you're about to lose faith, you're about to lose heart. And what Jesus is saying is, Hey, I see you. I love you. This is the truth about me. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. Come back to this. Remember. And so when Jesus, so when we understand that when Jesus says, Ask, you will receive, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open, he is saying, Don't ever stop asking. Don't ever stop seeking. Don't ever stop knocking. There is this deeper invitation here to this place of prayer, to come to him continually. Um, I want to invite the band to come on up. Um, you know, for a lot of us, this persistence and continued faith is the hardest part. Our hearts hunger for Jesus, we have a genuine desire. Um, Not just to know him, but to invite him into our personal lives. We truly love God and we want to see him invade every aspect of our life. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of this so much, right? I get inspired to pray. But after a day or two, I lose motivation. I don't have the persistence needed to keep pressing into him. Our Lord knows this. He knows this about us. He's so gracious. He graciously taught us, when you grow weary keep going. You know, there are a lot of answers um, that we might never get the answer to. Um, Sometimes there's prayers that we pray that we never see answered. Um, You know, I'm reminded of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed that his father would take the cup away for him, and the answer was no. More likely, the answer was silence. He didn't hear anything. And in some ways, silence is harder for us, right? A no is easier to wrap our minds around. We can say, all right, well, I don't like that answer, but I can at least accept the answer is no and move on, right? But silence keeps us in this place where we're still engaging with God. And our Lord knows what that feels like for us to cry out day and night. We cry out for answers and we hear silence. But how does he end that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? He says, but not my will, but yours be done. sounds very similar to the Lord's prayer. That Jesus is praying and these truths of the Lord's prayer are deep in his heart. So when he comes to the hardest moment of his life, what comes out of his heart is the things that he is teaching his disciples to get deep into their heart. Is that our heart posture before the Lord? Right? Maybe it's not reciting the Lord's Prayer when things get hard, but are the truth and the principles deep in our hearts and minds that when things come at us, we are ready to be faithful. God is looking for a people of faith who will be persistent in coming to him. What does he ask at the end of the parable of the persistent widow? He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will we be a church that is faithful when our Lord returns, that he would find us faithful, that we have not given up, we haven't lost heart, but we have kept coming to him. We've kept asking, we've kept seeking, and we've kept knocking. As we go into ministry time, I wanna invite some of our leaders up to the front. And um, for each of us in our our own hearts, I want us to ask ask some questions to the Lord. Um, Are there places in our faith where we have grown cold and weary of coming to him? Have we lost our boldness in coming to him, right? Maybe maybe we feel doubt. Maybe we feel like we have to just, we can't come to him with this bold, shameless cry. Are there areas where we need to grow in faithfulness and in persistence? If so, I think God wants to meet us in our need today. I I think he wants to meet us in our need and he has given us his Holy Spirit who is our helper, he's our guide, he's our teacher. He's here to conform us into the image of Christ so that when life gets hard and and squeezes us, we are like Christ and we can say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. So let's this morning ask God for his grace to press on in faith, press on in prayer. And I was sharing a lot of this with my wife, and and she said, um, If we need the blood of Jesus to actually be able to pray to God, how much more so do we need it for us to keep going? We need God's grace and His mercy on our life. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to be a people who are persistent. And so, as as I pray and and we wrap this up, I just invite you to ask those questions. Um, And if the Lord stirs something in your heart and you want to receive prayer, please come forward, and our prayer team would love to pray for you. But Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy on our life, Lord. We thank you that you have graciously taught us how we can approach our Father in prayer. And Lord, I pray this morning that all of us in this room would have a right view of our relationship with our Father. That we wouldn't view our Father as distant, as not caring about our lives, Lord, but that we would come to you as a child and pray, Lord, and that we would not grow weary in praying, Lord, but that we would have faith. Lord, when you come, Lord, our prayer is that you would find faith on the earth. You would find faith here in this church, Lord Jesus. And so God, we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name.